this is the third week of our series that we're calling Foundation. And what we're doing is we're walking through uh, foundational beliefs of Christianity. And uh, if you're here today and you are new to faith, uh, if you're here today just exploring faith, uh, or if you've been a Christian for a really long time, uh, my goal in this series is to teach uh, theological truths, but also move from just truths for the sake of wisdom and understanding to application into our lives. And uh, the first week we talked about God, and, and we said that God was eternal, that God was creator, that God exists in Trinity, which is a way of saying that, that the Godhead exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and the primary truth behind the Trinity is that God is deeply relational, uh, that God desires a relationship with you. He's not just this impersonal force in the world that created the world and has now left it to, to go about its own way, but he is deeply involved and relational and loves us. And in fact, that's where we ended, that we moved from God being relational to the scripture saying that God is in fact love itself. And then we talked last week about, about Jesus. That's a good thing to talk, person to talk about in church, right? Uh, when you come to church, we should, we should talk about Jesus. And we did that explicitly last week. And we said that God, Jesus is, is both divine and human. And, and because of that, he is, and because of who he is, he has won our salvation or is able to win our salvation. And then he is now at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and I. Uh, that Jesus, the Son of God, is, is praying for you. He's, he's rooting for you. He's on your side. He is for you. And then we ended by saying that God will, Jesus will one day return, finish his work of redemption in the world, and establish his kingdom forever. And so now, today, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, or as they used to call him, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Uh, so we're going to tell ghost stories today in church. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, the, the Spirit of God is probably the most mysterious of all the persons of the Trinity. Probably the hardest to understand and, and really get, uh, get an understanding or, or get a hold of, of who exactly he is and, and what exactly he does. And in fact, uh, when, I was, um, when I was a teenager, the only thing I knew about the Holy Spirit is that when I went to teen camp, uh, and I, I went to teen camp to meet girls. There, I said it. And, uh, you know, I'd find a girl that I liked, and, and I'd start snuggling up with her on the bus. And my youth pastor would always look at me, and he would say, now you have got to leave room for the Holy Spirit between the two of you. And that's about all I knew about the Holy Spirit is that he... He was, he was killing my mojo, you know? I mean, I was, I was trying to be a smooth operator, and the Holy Spirit was getting in the way because I had to leave room for the Holy Spirit. That's, that is the only thing I knew about the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager, is that he was, he was a guy that just got in the way. <laughs> Lord, you got to help us if this is where we're going today. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so, the, so it's like the Holy Spirit is, is uh, you know, you got to leave room for him. 
And uh, the other thing that I always heard about this mysterious person of God is, is, is he was often used as a threat, you know? And it's just like a, a person of authority would look at me and say, be careful, the spirit is watching. Ooh. You know, the spirit is watching. And, it, and, it, and it, 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 he was used as a, as a threat. Well, I'm not going to tell you to uh, leave room for the Holy Spirit today. Although if you're not married, that's probably a good idea. And uh, I'm not going to tell you that uh, the Spirit is, is watching over you and use him as a threat. But I want to rather teach you uh, some foundational truths. And then I want to really move to how does the Spirit work in our lives? Because I think ultimately the questions that we have about the Holy Spirit ultimately boil down to how does the Spirit work in our lives? And so foundationally, I want to say this, uh, that the, the, the Bible never refers to the Spirit of God as an it. And that's really important because a lot of times when we, when we think about the Spirit of God, we, we, we often assume that the Spirit of God is this impersonal sort of force in the world and we are tempted to call him an it. But the Bible always refers to the Spirit of God as a he. And remember, that, that, that directly relates to the truth about who the Trinity is, about who God is, and he exists as Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is to say that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. Are you with me? Now, I said this a couple of years ago. We did a, uh, we did a whole a series, a two-week series, a couple of years ago called Ghost. And uh, we, we spent two weeks just learning about the Holy Spirit. And I said that, and it confused a lot of people. They thought that when I said that the Spirit of God is a he and not an it, that it is a person and not a force, they thought that I meant that the Holy Spirit of God was enfleshed or made incarnate like Jesus was. And that's not it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person in that he is personal, in that he possesses a, a, a certain characteristics or a character about him. Uh, he's not this impersonal force in the world. He, the Spirit of God, is also deeply relational. And it is much more theologically correct to refer to him as a him and not an it. And so therefore, the person of the Holy Spirit is a person working in our lives. And that's the foundation that I want to lay, but ultimately I want to address the very practical question of how does the Spirit of God work in our lives? What does he do? What is he up to? And how does he do it? And so to do that, I want, to, I want us to turn our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, and it may seem a little bit odd to talk about the Holy Spirit who is poured out among all people in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Uh, it seems odd to talk about the Holy Spirit uh, from the book of Ezekiel. But I want to do this because uh, this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to the nation of Israel about the Holy Spirit. And so we have a lot to learn here uh, this morning from this passage. So I want to read verses 24 through 30. Ezekiel chapter 36, 24 through 30. Are you ready to hear the word of God today? Yes? All right. Let's do this. <laughs> Starting with verse 24, for I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean 
And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will instead give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will save you from all of your uncleanness. And I will call for the grain and I will make it plentiful and I will not bring famine upon you but I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Let's say a word of prayer and ask God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together, to encourage one another, to worship through giving, through communion later on, through song, And Lord, through hearing your word, and now God, as we open it, may we uh, also open our ears and our hearts, um, not just for understanding, but for application. And uh, Lord, would you help us today uh, to uh, apply your word to our lives. And I pray that we would be changed as a result of gathering together here today. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In... uh, In his book, The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg suggests that there is a habit loop or a habit cycle that our brains go through in order to create habits in our lives. And uh, this isn't isn't, uh, rocket science that habits are essential to our lives. Uh, We have to form habits, and in fact, your brain is all of the time trying to formulate habits Uh, Because habits, if the brain can sort of check out to some degree because of a habit, it makes our brains more efficient uh, and all of these kinds of things. So the brain is all the time trying to form habits, and it's trying to form these habits based on a cycle or a loop, this author suggests. And uh, um, I want to draw the loop for you, and it looks something like this. All right, the Lord is smiling upon our technology this morning. The habit, the, the habit loop starts with a cue, and then it goes to the routine, and then it goes to the reward, and then it cycles back around. The cue the routine, and then the reward. This is how your brain formulates and creates habits in your life. Let me give you some examples. For those of you that have a um, psychological problem and you enjoy running, (laughs) and you have formed the habit of running in your life, that habit started because of a cue. Uh, the cue may have been one day you, you woke up, you looked in the mirror, and you saw something hanging down over your waist that you didn't like. Or the cue may have been that you needed to run somewhere, and you discovered that short of, of 30 yards, you could hardly breathe. 
And that was served as a cue that maybe I should do this more often and get in better shape. And so the cue forms the habit, the routine. The routine is now you get up early in the morning before the sun comes up. My clock does not say 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 or 6. Yours may, but mine does not. And so at 5.30 in the morning, you formulate this routine of putting on your sporty spice pants, your neon running shoes, you, have you heard about this? The, every runner wears neon shoes now. It's like the 80s have haunted us like a, like a bad dream back into our time. And maybe it's just because I know that I'm getting old because, like, I was a kid and I was wearing neon colors and hyper sh- color shirts and, you know, silk. Like, if silk shirts come back, Jesus better come back with it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Can I just, can I hear an amen about that? And it's like, in my family, we weren't the richest, and so we, we had to wear rayon shirts. And kids are at school, and they're like, is that a rayon shirt? No, it's a silk shirt. Shut up. Okay, so you form this routine of, of putting on your, your, your sporty pants and your neon shoes. You go running, and then the reward is that you lose weight, you feel better, Uh, all of that stuff that I don't know anything about. Because when it comes to running, if I were to ever run, with every step, I think about stopping. It's just like the greatest reward that I could get out of running is to stop (laughs) running. Okay, uh, so another example. Have you ever noticed that Cinnabon never places their store inside of the food court? Have you noticed this? Of course, we don't have a, a mall here. We will. It's coming. But if you were to ever visit a mall somewhere, and you would notice that Cinnabon is, is sort of out of place. It's never, it's never inside the food court. It's always right outside of the food court. And it's because they want that sweet smell of freshly baked cinnamon rolls to waft across your nostrils and serve as a cue. Oh, I am hungry. That's the cue. Then they want you to form a routine. I'll have two. And then the reward is when you get to taste the cinnamon roll. You see how I chose two examples that were on polar opposites. Okay? Uh, my wife is the first, and then I am the second. Okay? So she's like neon shoes and sporty pants. I'm two cinnamon rolls, please. Okay? That's, that's how the Lord works. He brings opposites together. And, and we're better for it because every now and then I think about exercising and every now and then she thinks about cinnamon rolls. <laughs> I never exercise and she never has a cinnamon roll, but we're getting there. Okay. We, isn't this fun? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Well, let me tell you uh, one more example of cue, routine, and reward. Early on, uh, just a few years ago, actually, um, Americans did not brush our teeth. In fact, 
In the 1950s, only 7% of households had a toothbrush in the, in the house. And, uh, and so, and, and there were all kinds of people making toothbrushes and toothpaste, just nobody cared. Nobody thought it was important. And so, uh, Pepsodent hired a gentleman to come out with an ad campaign that would help cue people to brush their teeth. And the ad campaign was, run your tongue across your teeth. Do you feel that dirty film on there? Okay, so oh, we, we got some dental hygienists here in the, in the audience today. Uh, and, and so you, it's like, so Pepsodent was like saying, here's the cue. Feel the dirty film on your teeth. Then form a routine. Brush with Pepsodent. And then the reward is you have a sparkly clean smile and you don't have that film across your teeth. And in in less than 10 years, our nation went from having only 7% of households uh, that have a toothbrush to over 60%. And almost everybody was brushing with Pepsodent. And it was because they were were formulating this cue, uh, this routine, and then the reward. And so um, technology has also changed the habits of our country uh, much faster than 10 years. In fact, a new piece of technology can come out, and within a year, it can change the habits of, of almost an entire country. And, and it's because of this. It's, it's because we hear the cue, right? The, the email comes in. Ding! That's the cue. The routine is Regardless of whether you are having dinner with royalty, you have to check your phone. That's the routine, and I'm not angry about it. And then the reward is, there's a sale at REI, and they have emailed to me, let me know. I must be so important. That's the reward, okay? No bitterness at all. So, Cue, routine, reward. Well, I'm not here to talk to you about technology, and I'm not here to talk to you about uh, the oral hygiene history of America. Uh, I am here to suggest that uh, there is a spirit cycle as well, that there is a, there is a pattern to the way in which the Spirit of God uh, works in our life. And so uh, I want to suggest to you that the first these all start with P, too, because that's what preachers do, right? And, uh, and so the first part of the spirit cycle is purify. And then prompt. And then produce. And then produce. The spirit cycle. And this comes out of this passage in Ezekiel that we read. Remember, the, it starts out in verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will, give you, uh, I will remove your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. You see, when it comes to the, the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, we tend to focus almost exclusively on what God wants us to do. 
uh, what God wants us to do. We always tend to start there. And we ask questions about our life. Like, who should I marry? Should I take that job? What college should I go to? What school should we send our kids to? Should we homeschool? Should we do private school or charter school or public school? Or all of these kinds of options. We, we tend to almost always jump to, God, what do you want me to do? But it is... But more important, though, is actually the deeper work of my heart in the midst of those questions. In in other words, this. God is more concerned with with who he wants us to become than than what he wants us to do. Now, we'll we'll get to this part of of what he wants us to do, but, but primarily what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life is purify your heart. And so oftentimes we, we, we skip the first step of the spirit cycle in our lives and we jump right to what is the produce? What do you want to produce in my life? What am I to do? What am I, go, what am I supposed to go and now be or do? And, and, but before any of that, the spirit of God wants to work in your life in order to purify your heart. In other words, instead of who should I marry or when should we get married or where should we get married? The more important question that the Spirit of God is asking in your life is how are you preparing yourself for marriage? Whether you're, whether you're seeking marriage and not in a relationship, whether you're in a relationship but it's not that serious, whether you are engaged, the, the, the primary question of what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life is not necessarily who or what or when, but how. How are you preparing yourself for marriage? Uh, in other words, should I take, another one is, should I take this job? And we'll spend hours in prayer. Should I take this job? Should I take this job? And what the Spirit of God wants to do in our life is purify our hearts and say, what are my motivations for taking this job? Really? What are my motivations? What's, what does my heart say in the midst of this decision? Am I just... Am I, drawn toward this job because it'll mean more money and that means I can get a bigger house by the lake? Or is the motivation of my heart pure before the Lord and he's leading me in that direction? Um, so, and, and actually more important than where should we send our kids to school or where should I go to school is how are you building into your kids and preparing them for school? Uh, I, I was uh, at a place recently where I heard um, a very good speaker, and he uh, suggested that his parents uh, did not isolate him from the world. That in order to, to, to isolate uh, our kids and our children from the world is actually uh, a mistake because it's something, it's a futile effort because we actually can't fully isolate our kids uh, from the world and the culture around us. But he said instead of isolating our kids, we should insulate them. Because uh, it's an equal mistake to isolate them totally, but on the opposite end, it's, it's t- totally a mistake also to just send them out into the world and say, well, good luck. <laughs> we need to insulate them. And uh, you know how insulation has an R value? Uh, depending on where you're at, there may be greater R values where you need to insulate your kids uh, before you send them out. But, but we shouldn't isolate. Uh, we should insulate. And so the question is not so much where should we send our kids to school, but how are we building into our kids in order to prepare them for school? 
so I, I wanted to drive this point in. The, the Spirit's desire is to purify your heart above all else. The Spirit of God, more than anything in your life, wants to purify your heart. And, and again, I think our tendency is, is to miss this because we, we tend to use the Spirit of God as, as um, some sort of like inside track, right? Like, Lord, should we sell our house now or in a month? What's the economy going to do? And, and I, I, we're going to talk about how the Lord wants to prompt, but we skip the purify part and we go to the prompt and the produce. And we, wanna, we want the Lord to do something in our lives, tell us what to do, when actually what he wants to do above all else is purify us. I will give you a clean heart. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. God is more concerned with teaching us who he is than what he wants. Did you hear that? God is more concerned about teaching us who he is than what he wants. Because if you, this is great, because if you know who he is, you'll know what he wants. But some of us try to get to what he wants before we ever understand his character. And we just try to use God as some sort of like inside track. God, I know that you know something that no one else knows. Just let me know. And God is like, but do you know who I am? I'm much more concerned with having you know who I am than having you know what I know. Well, this act of purification in our lives is twofold. It comes in a moment and then it's continuous. It's, it's both and. Well, is it, is it this one-time thing or is it like all the time? Yes. Wrap your arms around both, right? And then we're getting around to the answer. Because the, the, there is this moment in our lives where we surrender to God. And we say, God, you have all of me. If there's, if there's any part of me that I haven't given over to your lordship in my life, I want to give that over to you now. A lot of our kids did that at camp this week. Right? To be known by God and then make God known. God, I want, I want to give all of myself to you. I've been following you for a long time. And, and, and I'm, in, I'm doing this high school thing. I'm doing the junior high thing. And there's pressures and there's all these things. But God, I, I want to surrender my entire life to you. Lord, would you purify my heart? That is a beautiful moment. But then there's this continuous purification that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And, and so this continual purification comes through conviction. Because the more that you know who he is, the more that you'll know what he wants. So in those moments when you find yourself not in line with what he wants, the conviction of the Spirit will come upon you, and you'll know. Are you with me? I want to tell you a personal story uh, to help illustrate this, because um, this, this act of, of continual cleansing. We need continual cleansing because uh, it isn't because God couldn't clean us well enough on the first time. Uh, it's because when we give things over to God, we have a tendency to say, can I have that back? And, and we take it back. And when, we, when it gets in our hands, it gets dirty, right? And so we need God to continually cleanse us uh, through this work of conviction in our lives. And um, 
We have these denominational meetings called district assembly or district convention, they're calling it now. And um, it's, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like half business, vote on boards, uh, hear reports, all of this kind of thing. And then it's like half inspiration, hear good speakers, uh, go to these workshops and everything else. And for many years, um, I have had a, a negative attitude toward these denominational meetings. It's like, I'm a pastor. I got to go, you know. And if I could not go, that would be great. Oops, I'm on vacation. Or I got a wedding, you know. Oh, I had to miss it. And, and you know what? I was, I was really playing uh, too cool for school. And I know that you guys never do that. But I, I would go to these, I would go to these uh, conventions. It was with other Nazarene pastors from all over the state of Colorado. And, and I'd be like, man, look at that dude. Look at his haircut. I am way too cool for school. Like, this is not my crowd, you know? Come on, somebody. Don't leave me up here just hanging. Can you identify with this? And I'm like, I, I just, I, I look around, I'm kind of like, these are my people, but they're not really my people. I'm here because I have to be, right? Too cool for school. And, uh, you know, the, the, about a year ago, the Lord started to convict me of that. And he started to purify my heart and say, you know what? You have, uh, you have decided, I mean, you signed up for this gig to pastor in this denomination. Nobody forced you here. You signed up for this gig. And so be a part of it. Play along. And if you see things that need to be fixed, be a part of fixing the problem. Don't just be the one screaming about the problem. Some of you need to hear that about the local church. Oh, I just broke your front window and came up in your living room, didn't I? Ouch! Okay? So the Lord started to speak to me and uh, start began a, a work of cleansing in my life. And, and this year, uh, I, I just got back from from these meetings uh, a week or two ago. And I mean, I got to tell you, the Lord spoke to me and challenged me uh, even in the midst of the business and the reporting and the voting uh, through uh, these speakers. And uh, I just had a blessed time at this thing that I used to say, oh no, man, I'm too cool for school, man. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. And it's because the Holy Spirit was working to cleanse my heart. You see, there's this moment where we say, God, everything. And then there's this process of God continually cleansing us and and convicting us and moving us more in line with what he wants to to do in our lives and and more into his likeness. And and here's what I noticed. And here's what I felt like the Lord told me uh, in in the midst of, of this kind of process of, of the district meetings and and uh, the, the speaker that we had was not a dynamic speaker but he was very very good and and, and I, it seemed like the Lord was was telling me because sometimes sometimes I go places I'm sure you never do this but sometimes I go places and I hear preachers and pastors and I'm like oh somebody give me the microphone this is painful you know and so not because I think too highly of myself because, but, but, but it's just like a lot of times when I'm in an environment I'm like, I feel like I'm gifted and called to speak. And so I have a really hard time listening to other speakers. You guys are hanging me out to dry today. <laughs> and so, here, here's my point. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. I just get to the point. Here's this. I've noticed 
that the quality of a sermon is not determined by the talent of the speaker, but the receptiveness of the listener. Which means I'm off the hook. <laughs> and all of you guys are on the hook. Okay? And so that's the work of this, this continual spirit cleansing in my life. I want to continue to drill down in this. One of the best ways that I've really found out, because, because sometimes, like, the Lord can purify us from, like, the big sins, you know? Like, like don't have an affair or don't do these these big kind of like problems in our life. But, but the purification of the Spirit doesn't just want to cleanse us from sort of these huge things. It wants to cleanse us from all the little things. And I have found that one of the best ways to really drill down into my heart and ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse my heart on a deeper level is to ask the question, really? Why do I want to do this? Really? And if we can get to the really part, then we're in the area where the Holy Spirit can begin to work in our lives. And so, for example, why do you want to succeed in your job? Really? Is it because so you can gain more power and money and influence? Or is it so that God can use you in the workplace and strategically uh, build his kingdom through the influence that you have in your workplace? Is it selfishly motivated or is it motivated because of what God can do through me? Why do you want that promotion in your workplace, really? How about this one, parents? Why do you want your kids to behave, really? Is it so they won't embarrass you? Is it so that your life will be easier? Or is it, do you want them to behave so that God's full potential can be unleashed in them? Like, like what level of purification do you want the Spirit to do in your life? Why do you want to do that really? Why do you want that really? What's the motivation of my heart? Who did you get dressed for this morning? Really? Some of you are like, that is obvious. <laughs> I didn't want to come to church naked, okay? You can't say naked. You have to say it naked, naked. Now, did you dress to look nice and presentable, or maybe your, your spouse or significant other likes that outfit? Okay, but, or did you buy those clothes on your credit card so that people you don't even know will be impressed? Like, who did you get dressed for, really? You see what I'm saying? Like, the level of purification that the Spirit wants to do in our lives goes beyond just these sort of like obvious, presentable sins that, we can, that people can see. The purification of the Spirit wants to go second level, third level, fourth level. I have a four-year-old, almost five, and she's a little bit past this stage, but kids are like, they ask the why question, you know, like, why? Well, this, why? Well, that, why? I don't know, you know? I want you to do that with your heart. I want you to ask yourself a question and then say, really? And then really? And then really? What is the motivation? What is really driving you? Um, one more thought about purification. 
Uh, when Amy and I first got married, we had uh, two cars that between the two of them had 500,000 miles. Can I hear an amen for the clunker? Anybody, anybody driving a clunker to church this morning? Lord bless you. Lord bless you. May financial peace be all over your head in life. Too many of us are car poor. Um, and, and, and so, like, like listen, listen, to, listen to our life when we first got married. Because we had two cars that between the two of them had over 500,000 miles. We had to go to the library for internet. And we watched movies on VHS tape, which is sort of like an eight track, um, if you're not sure what that is. And so, and I'm not exactly sure what an eight track is. I don't want to show my age too much, you know. I got I to gotta bring my, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, brother. I'm not that old. Okay. So, so like, like, like when we first got married, it was kind of like, we ain't got nothing, but at least we got love, you know. And uh, we also did not have a dishwasher. Or should I say, the only dishwasher we had was me. That's what I should say. People would be like, you know, hey, do you guys have a dishwasher? And Amy would say, yeah, Andy. You know, it's like, it was kind of like that. Um, and so we had to wash all of our dishes by hand. Well, eventually we got into a little better car. We still drive 10 or 11 year old cars. And, and we eventually got Wi Fi at the house. And we got, you know, our life started to improve. And we got a dishwasher. Oh, and it was like, we got a dishwasher. How many of you, like, remember your first dishwasher? This is, like, the best day of your life, you know? You're like, yeah! And so, but then, you know, you learn that you actually have to wash the dishes before you wash the dishes, which is kind of discouraging, but oh well. And and so we got this dishwasher, but when we first got the dishwasher, I was really reluctant to use it for two reasons. Number one, I wasn't used to using a dishwasher, and so I would just wash all the dishes myself. And when it comes to purification of our lives, now help me out, this may be a bit of a stretch. I wonder wonder how many of us try to wash ourselves when it is the Spirit of God who wants to do the cleansing. The second reason I didn't want to use the dishwasher is because I did not want to unload the dishwasher in order to load it again. This seemed to me a bit like digging a hole and filling it back up and digging a hole and filling it back up. To this day, I hate to unload the dishwasher. I will, I'll, I'll like, oh man, I'm doing the dishes, getting, put them in the dishwasher. I see that there is a clean load. I walk away. I'm just like, I, can't, I cannot do it. I, I will not unload the dishwasher. It takes me 45 minutes. Amy does it in about 45 seconds. Me, it takes like nearly all day. I have to clear out my calendar to unload the dishwasher, you know? So I didn't want to unload it. Now, listen, this also may be a bit of a stretch, but I wonder how many of us are robbing ourselves of the cleansing of the Spirit because we're too afraid to unload what the Spirit wants to unload in our lives. You see, the purification of the Holy Spirit is this beautiful thing where He does the work if we will just offer it up to him and say, God, would you cleanse me and make me whole? Purification. All the points are not that long. The Lord wants to prompt us. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. 
God, first of all, the Spirit of God wants to purify your heart. And then he wants to prompt you to very specific obedience in your life. He wants to prompt you. Once, once your heart is pure, then God has room to prompt. But too often we're looking for the prompting before we ever have allowed God to purify our hearts. Before we've ever come to know his character, we want to know what he wants. And there's a very particular order in which I will cleanse you and then I will move you to follow my decrees. And God works in our life. The Spirit of God speaks to us in our lives through impressions, through confirmations, through the Bible, if you will read it, and through the community, in community with other people. God, the Spirit of God uses a variety of ways to prompt us toward very specific obedience in our lives. And, and so one example is in Acts chapter 11, verse 12. Uh, it says, the Spirit told me to go and do this. We see all kinds of examples in Acts and through the New Testament, these very specific promptings from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit told me to do this, but we can't hear his promptings if we haven't first allowed him to purify our hearts. Are you with me? And so there is indeed a very specific prompting from the Spirit in our lives, and, and he, but it comes when he purifies our hearts first. And so he will prompt us toward very specific places, but sometimes he will prompt us to greater levels of obedience. And so it's like, I know I should do this. But then the Spirit moves on us and prompts us to take action. Like, like I know that God forgives me and so I should be forgiving. And yet there, there comes a moment when the Spirit of God moves powerfully in our lives and prompts us toward very specific forgiveness for this person very specific obedience in our lives. He may prompt you to forgive. He may prompt you toward greater generosity in your life. He may prompt you to invite someone to church. The Spirit of God, if we'll allow him to purify our hearts, next he wants to prompt us toward specific obedience and greater obedience to what we already know. Because the truth is, is that we know way more than we apply in our lives. Isn't that true? I mean, some of us have knowledge that goes a thousand miles about the Bible, but we struggle with simple obedience. And it is the Spirit's role to purify us and then prompt us toward greater levels of obedience. I always know that I should be forgiving. That's what the gospel says. The Bible says that. I have been forgiven by God. And then the Spirit moves in our life and prompts us toward forgiveness. And so sometimes the Spirit will lead you to something Sometimes the Spirit will keep you from something. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were like, I just don't feel right about this? That is the Spirit prompting you to protect you from something, to keep you from something. Uh, there, there'll be major decisions uh, in, in our life. And, and if, if Amy or I, neither one, if, if we're just like, you know what, I can't even, I can't articulate it, I can't pinpoint it, but something about this just doesn't seem right, we don't do it. Because we believe that the, the Spirit of God is prompting us to keep us from something. But sometimes he will prompt you very specifically toward something. But the prompting always has to come after the purification. I also, also want to make a very, um, I want to make a, a really important point that, that I see happening all the time. Some people... Um, some people get weird about the Spirit's leading. 
And I, I didn't think any of you would shout amen, but I think you agree with me that some people, some people can get kind of weird with like the Holy Ghost thing and, and the, the Spirit leading them. And uh, they, they're looking for the Spirit of God to micromanage their decisions. Like, like after church today for Father's Day, Spirit of God, would you tell me, should I go to Texas Roadhouse or Cafe Athens? And I believe the Spirit of God is saying, yes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? But we, 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 we want the Spirit of God to micromanage our decisions. Sometimes, sometimes people are like, Lord, where should I eat lunch? Wendy's or Chick-fil-A? That's obvious. It's obvious where the Spirit of God wants you to eat. If it's between Wendy's and Chick-fil-A, it is Chick-fil-A every time. Every time it's Chick-fil-A. There's just, I mean, it's in the Bible somewhere. Second, hesitations. You should definitely eat a Chick-fil-A whenever you are prompted. Whenever the cue comes, you should enter the routine of the chicken sandwich, and you will have a great reward, Okay? Somebody help me. Okay. The point is this. Some people are focused in asking the Holy Spirit to micromanage their life. And here's what happens when you ask the Spirit of God to micromanage your life. You will become either frozen or fleeting. You'll become either frozen or fleeting. Let me give you a couple of examples. Frozen is the young person who is trying to discern the Spirit's leading on what they should do for the summer. Should I be a counselor at a church camp or should I go on a three-month mission trip to a foreign country, a third world country, and proclaim the gospel and care for the poor there? Spirit of God, what would you have me do? When silence comes back, because they're looking for the Lord to micromanage their life, and not, they don't get any real clarity on the church camp or the, or the mission trip, they end up spending the summer playing Xbox in their parents' basement where the Spirit of God is saying, yes, go. I have already told you to go and proclaim the good news to the poor. You don't have to pray about a counselor or this unless you've received a specific prompting. I want to set some of you free today. You've been trying so hard to discover the will of God and you've, you're, you're moving between two options that are very in line with the gospel and I want to set you free today that the Spirit of God does not want to micromanage your decisions. He wants to purify your heart. And if you are going toward both of those options with a pure heart, you have the Lord's blessing. Come on somebody, is that helpful? Also frozen is this. The husband trying to discern how, how the Lord is calling him to lead his, his family and his wife spiritually. Should we do a Bible reading plan? Should we read a devotional book together? Should it be in the morning or the evening? And with a lack of direction, he doesn't do anything. Right? Like the Spirit of, Lord, the Spirit of God is saying, yeah, either one would be great. Morning, noon, night, devotional plan, Bible reading plan. It's all good. But don't just sit there. And then fleeting is this. So we're either frozen when we're asking the Lord to micromanage our decisions or we're fleeting. Fleeting is this. Everything is a sign from God. And that is just complicated. That complicates life exponentially. Uh, Everything becomes a sign from God. And so they float from thing to thing, church to church with no commitment. And uh, 
imagine a family that decided to attend a church and make it their home church after attending that church off and on for a year. And they finally decided this is going to be our church home. We're going to go through the membership class. They do that. And then one month after joining that church in membership, after thinking about it and discerning the Lord's will for over a year, uh, they receive an invitation to church from one of their doctors. And they see that as a sign from the Lord that we are to switch churches and they go. That's fleeting. That's fleeting. Um, because I thought that the Spirit of God just told you after a year of discernment to go to that church, and then now, after one month, you go to this other church. The Spirit of God is not leading you to uh, hop churches, okay? Uh, That's not God's best for you. Um, God's best for you is to plug in, get involved, struggle to get connected, because the struggle is worth it. It's worth it in the end to have a community that loves you, that walks beside you, that you can talk with and communicate with, um, all of these things. The point that I want to make is that if we have allowed the Spirit to purify our hearts, He doesn't have to micromanage our decisions. If we have allowed Him to purify our hearts, He doesn't have to micromanage our decisions. But He will sometimes prompt us to protect us, to lead us, and to move us into greater obedience. Does that make sense? So the Spirit wants to purify, the Spirit wants to prompt, and then the Spirit wants to produce. The God's goal is not prediction, but dependence. He doesn't want you to, he doesn't want to give you all the insider track information so that you can predict what's going to happen. He wants you to learn to depend on him. And so God's goal is not that you can be able to tell the future, but that you will, in not knowing the future, and in the midst of uncertainty, learn to lean on him and depend on him. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 28 through 30 says this, you will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people. I will be your God, and I will save you from all the uncleanness, and I will call for the grain, and I will make it plentiful, and, you will not, and I will not bring famine upon you, and I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that uh, you will, so that You will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. God does not want to deplete stuff in your life. He wants to develop stuff in your life. And sometimes we see the Spirit of God as a killjoy, right? Leave room for the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, he's killjoy. No, man, God does not want to deplete things in your life. He wants to develop things in your life. Like, Like if you were to figuratively leave room for the Holy Spirit, in your dating relationship, he would develop a heart of purity in you. And in the end, you are not depleted or robbed of anything, but you're given a great gift of purity. You see, God does not want to deplete, but he wants to develop. And I want to uh, share an example of when I was the recipient of the produce, of the fruit of someone's prompting. Several weeks ago, I was having a very difficult time, a very difficult week, and uh, it was a really difficult time in ministry, and I didn't know what it was, and I couldn't really put my finger on on exactly. I was just feeling really discouraged uh, as a pastor. And uh, one day, I received a call from an old friend that I hadn't talked to in in many months, uh, in a very long time, and he said, you know, you've really been on my mind lately, and I thought that I should call to see how you are doing. You see, the Spirit prompted him toward very specific action so that it would produce fruit in my life. 
This is the cycle of the Holy Spirit. The next day, the next day, uh, one of our Nazarene pastors in our area called me and said, you know, I have been thinking about you a lot, and I just figured that I had to call and see how things were going. And so we had an opportunity to talk, and the Spirit prompted two people that week to call and encourage me so that it might produce fruit in my life. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is we first must allow him to purify, then he will prompt, and then it will produce fruit in our lives. And all of this is driven by desire. It's driven by desire. The reason the Pepsodent toothpaste worked is not because it was something brand new on the market. There were all kinds of toothpaste on the market. The reason that Pepsodent worked and when the cue and the routine led to the reward and it caused people to return into the cycle is because they put chemicals in their toothpaste that made it feel like it was working on your teeth. You could feel the clean. And so when you were going through the routine, you thought, man, this is really doing something. It's uh, very similar to natural ice lip balm. It tingles on your lips with a very satisfying tingle that says, your lips are getting better every second. And everybody's like, it got awkward up in here all of a sudden. Like we were talking about toothpaste and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden we started talking about lush lips. Here's the point I want to make to you. The spirit cycle is driven by desire. And the more that we experience the purification of the spirit, the more that we will desire his work in our lives. And so some of you are, are on a, in a stage of your faith journey where the purification of the Spirit is beautiful and you live in this desire for Him to work in your life. Some of you need to experience the purification of the Spirit for the very first time to help drive that desire so that you can feel Him working in your lives. Wherever you're at today in our time of response, I would ask you to simply cry out to God and ask him to purify your heart. Maybe from the big things. Maybe three or four levels down. But let's together, during our time of response and reflection, cry out to God and ask him to purify us. That we might, that we might, that he might produce fruit in our lives. And that he might prompt us toward very specific and greater obedience to him. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click Online Giving.